All right, let's pray, okay? Father God, we come before you thankfully that you've given your word to us and we have the opportunity to study it. We pray your blessings on our meeting tonight here in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at the rest of uh, Exodus chapter 2 um, tonight. We're, we're getting an idea of who Moses is. He's such an important character. Uh, certainly one of the top three or four, I guess, in both Testaments, if you think about it. And, and uh, way up there in his ranking in the Old Testament. But because of our, um, we're, we're, we're directly invested in all of this and what's going on. Because our, the, the, uh, the promise of our, our deliverer is, uh, is in all this story of the Old Testament. Well, let's continue from where we left off last time in, uh, what, verse 15? And we'll make some points along the way. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, then he sought to kill Moses. Um... Um, Moses committed murder. If Moses knew that he was expected to be the deliverer of God's people, then Pharaoh would have known that. So by this time, I would think that Pharaoh had no special affection uh, for Moses. So it didn't take long for him to decide that Moses needed to die having committed this murder. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. Let's talk about this for a couple of minutes. Um, right at, let's see. This word, let's see if I can do it. No, it's not going to work. Whoops. I was going to circle it. Vashiv, anyway, Vashiv, the Hebrew word, it's the next to the last word in verse 15, which would be this way. Vashiv, everybody knows that. Here's why this is important. It means that Moses had already been in the land for a while. It's not like, it's not like, oh, look, there's some pretty girls and here's a well, and I'm going to go sit down and watch them. He had been there for a while, okay? Now, it's not that he was in the same place, but he had dwelt. If you look at the, the way the, the sentence is constructed, especially in the original text, he already was there. Now, Midian, you, you may have a Bible map that shows you, but you think of Egypt in the upper part of Africa in the upper, what, western part? Then there's the Sinai, what we know as the Sinai Peninsula. And then the other side there, which is today Saudi Arabia. So if you think of on the other side, on the west, no, eastern, I'm sorry, eastern side, be the eastern side of Africa, east, that's, yeah, eastern side of the Sinai Peninsula, on down southward away, would be the land of Midian. Now, the land of Midian was south of the land of Canaan. So, all right, so you have, 
Egypt here at the top of Africa there on that eastern side. Sinai Peninsula right here, Red Seas right in there. Over here then is Saudi Arabia today. But then it was Canaan and Midian. All right. Midian was one of the sons of Abraham by Keturah. So in some sort of distant way, this was a kinsman. The people of Midian would be kinsmen of, uh, of Moses. Now, Moses certainly would have known that, and I'm sure Midian, the Midianites uh, would have known that as well. Why the land of Midian? Okay, remember, historical data points to the high probability that Moses had been a military commander. Therefore... He was accustomed to wars, skirmishes, and patrols around the, the land of Egypt where Egyptian domain was supreme. During this time, the Egyptian domain went all the way across the Sinai Peninsula, but it did not include Canaan or Midian. So Moses is running from Pharaoh. It's a, it, would have been a, it would have been sort of an obscure place anyway where Moses went. But he knows at that point Pharaoh would not have the interest in putting together some kind of small search team to go and search him and execute him or bring him back for execution. Now this was... The trek for Moses to, from Egypt to Midian was over 200 miles. It was a long way. It was 200, 250 miles. And he was already in the land. Now, whether or not he was wandering around in the land, I don't know. But he had all, from the language, he already was there. Uh, and he sat down by, it's continuing on, he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. Let's talk about the priest of Midian. Well, what's he a priest of? That, that Abraham is his forefather does not mean that he is a priest of Yahweh. doesn't mean that at all. Later on in the Bible, the Midianites uh, are Baal worshipers. At this point, and today, there is a religion called uh, Druze, I think. Druze, D-R-U-Z-E, maybe S-E. Druze, you know, is how you pronounce it. And there are hundreds of thousands, maybe a million worldwide, of people who practice it. And... It is, for the most part, a monotheistic religion. But it is, it is a, uh, it's a fifth cousin to Mohammedism or Islam. They recognize, these days, those who are in the religion of the Druze religion recognize Jethro, who is Ruel. Ruel and Jethro are the same guys. It's according to whether you're getting it from one language or another. They recognize Jethro, the priest of Midian, 
as the originator of their religion. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, that's what they say. They claim that today, and I don't know if he was, or I don't know. But when we say it's, it's interesting to, to know what kind of household Moses is getting involved with, probably as descendants of Abraham would have been uh, understanding of the importance of monotheism, that is the worship of one God. But that, but that they were not in any way warm to the, the Israelites in Goshen obviously didn't consider themselves close to Israel, tells us that they were detached from the covenant that God had made through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So what kind of priest is he? Everything seems to point that he believed in one major God, but he also acknowledged more minor gods. I'll tell you why we say that. Later on in the story of Moses, Jethro, when he's called Jethro later on, he says something, we'll get there in a few weeks, a couple of weeks, whenever. He says something like this, that uh, the Lord... And I think he uses Adonai, not, not Yahweh. The Lord delivered Moses, um, and he is God above all other gods. So he has this kind of left-handed endorsement of more minor gods, but he seems to be focused on a major god, which would speak to his descendancy from Abraham. And so therefore, as a priest... He would lead people in sacrifices and, and rituals and all this kind of thing. So this is the priest of Midian. He had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water the flocks of their father. And the shepherds came and drove them away. Middle Eastern shepherds were a tough, Taste of individuals. They, they, were, they were pretty tough. They had to defend their flocks against animals. You know the story of David. So they, they grew up in a tough world. And, it, they didn't, and in this case, separated from a belief in the, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, obviously having no principles, it didn't bother them to let these women do all of the work, and then they come and drive them off so that their flocks can get the water. Now look at this. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up. Okay, so he's sitting down, resting by the well. And he sees, maybe they didn't see Moses. I don't know. Uh, maybe he was sort of, obscured by, by the well itself or foliage in the area. He probably sought shade if he was sitting down to rest. Whatever the case, Moses noticed the commotion. He probably had been watching these women water their flocks and maybe other people before them. How long he had settled there at that well, the Bible doesn't say. He may have been there for a while. 
and just never bother anybody and, and just sort of let people do their thing. But now Moses reveals himself as the same principled man that he was when he stood up for the Hebrew who was being mistreated by the uh, Egyptian. Perhaps it was still the commander Moses, the military commander in him. Perhaps it was the man Moses who, as a military commander, when they invaded a land and they defeated it, as the commander of the army would be responsible for setting up a government. Just, he just exuded with leadership. So he wasn't going to accept uh, injustice. This is the man that Moses is. Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Now, you know, we all, of course, know about Moses' staff, but we also know that they recognize him in just a minute. We'll see that they recognize him as an Egyptian. It's quite likely that Moses still had some of his military armor. I don't know how, I don't know if he had a bug out bag or a go bag or whatever and ran and got it and ran. I don't know if he had two or three camels that he led. I just don't know. We don't know. Said he fled, so it seems like he just pretty much went with minimal stuff, but probably would have had his sword, maybe a dagger, and of course the staff uh, that just about everybody carried in that part of the world in those days. So it, and as a soldier, he was trained in how to use those weapons. Bible doesn't say, I don't want to embellish it too much, but from the language, we know that, that there were three or more shepherds, and there's one Moses. We know that shepherds were pretty tough, um, and they probably got in fights all the time. But obviously, there was, there was something different about Moses. It might have been the sword that he drew. Not everybody had a sword, you know. Um, could have been the weapons that he had, uh, the commanding voice, whatever. But he drove them away, so he stood up for these otherwise helpless women who were being mistreated and they didn't deserve it. Having dwelt there, you know, all kinds of questions go through your mind. Is this where, Mo since there was water there, uh, a good supply of water on a regular basis, is this where, Mo in that general area, is this where Moses kind of settled and maybe he was accustomed to watching people come and go uh, at the well and maybe he had grown accustomed to watching these women probably thinking, well, they have no, you know, they're young, they don't have husbands, they don't have brothers, and, and uh, their daddy only has the daughters. To, I mean, you know, it's hard to say. But whatever the case, he inflicted justice into this. He inserted justice into the situation. Now, it says not only did he defend them, and obviously run the shepherds off with force. But then he revealed a kindness, a care for the weaker people. So it says here, Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So he was a pretty vigorous, strong guy to have outfought and scared off a group of shepherds, and then after that, turn around and do the work that usually takes seven young women to do. He watered their flock. 
probably, you know, the, the implication here is you ladies rest. This was a frightening ordeal for you. You just need to gather your thoughts and let me take care of everything over here. I'll water your flocks. That way these guys who are standing 300 yards away won't be tempted to come back and, and try this thing all over again. Yeah, something like that. They came to Ruel, their father, and he said, Why have you returned so early today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hands of the shepherds, and he also even drew water for us and watered the flock. Now, sounds like that probably wasn't the first time that this had happened uh, to these young women. Uh, just from reading this, also makes Ruel understand or realize that something's different. They don't usually come back this, this early. Some, something strange has happened. Then you go from there to their reply to their father when they said an Egyptian delivered us. The appearance of Moses was the appearance of an Egyptian, which, which lends credence to the possibility that he was armed. You know, I told you back earlier that the Egyptian sword was a special kind of sword. And the way that it had this almost kind of like half a sword and half a sickle, and it was made, uh, it was made for slashing and lopping off limbs and heads. Um, so they recognized him maybe by his dress, maybe by the sword, whatever. They recognized him as an Egyptian. Now we all know that, that Moses, uh, who looked a lot like Charlton Heston, <laughs> wore a Hebrew drape, right? That's what, that's what uh, Cecil B. DeMille told us in a cast of thousands. And we all know that Zipporah looked practically like Yvonne DiCarlo. <laughs> and that's why they chose those two people to play those parts, because of the striking resemblance <laughs> between those two. So an Egyptian, they recognized him as an Egyptian. So he still had his Egyptian stuff and perhaps the Egyptian uh, sword and so forth delivered us Would great... I'm sorry, do what? Would his accent have been different? Well, it may have been, but there's no indication that he spoke to them at that point or that oh, okay. other than maybe a good yell or two at the shepherds. Um, and there's no indication that they had ever, that they had ever met uh, before either. Now, uh, the Midianites, and it's obvious that Moses would have understood their language, but they didn't necessarily speak the Egyptian language. They would have spoken a Semitic language that would be different. Don't, I'm chasing a rabbit there. Um, you, got me, you got me off in left field, sink. No, you're all right. Uh, but uh, that Moses would have understood the language is interesting. Uh, might have been, might have been a, it's a Semitic language, Median language would be a Semitic language, which would be very akin to Hebrew language. Um, so, why, uh, 
delivered us. Great word, delivered us. This is a word, the deliverer. This is a word that's going to, that's going to hang. It just seems like it hangs around his neck wherever he goes. Delivered us from the hands of the shepherds. He also drew water for us and watered the flock. So it was equally as impressive to these young women that he didn't just walk off or whatever, but he actually stayed there and, and performed a duty that would have been otherwise fairly difficult for, for all of them to have completed. Okay, so moving on from there. So he said to his daughters, well, where is he? Uh, and what is this that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Let him come and eat with us. Very important statement here. Moses was content to live with the man. If you look at the last phrase here, I think I have on the slide. He named his son Gershon because he said, uh, Gershon, because I have been a stranger in a strange land. I have been an alien in a foreign land. Tells us that Moses was always reflecting on his life in Egypt. Probably was reflecting on his potential life as a Hebrew, an Israelite. And apparently these things were always on his mind because even when he'd been there long enough to start having children, he still didn't feel like this was really home. But, back up to our phrase, our, where we were, Moses was content to live with the man. He was willing to do it. It seems as though if you... If you take the other side of the statement, up until this point, it seems that Moses had felt no contentment. Um, probably wondering if, uh, if a troop of Egyptians were looking for him. There would have been, you know, surely, okay, this is the, this is the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He would have been an important, especially if he was the commander in the military that everybody said he was. I say everybody. He's certain historians. <coughs> this kind of news would not have remained silent. Caravans were always going in and out of Egypt and making their way certainly into Canaan, across the peninsula, up into Canaan, and down into Midian. Uh, this apparently was a well big enough to, to water quite a few people, so caravans would have surely known where the, where the well was, where the water was. So would there not have been news since there'd been some time since Moses fled, would there not have been news to have reached the Midianites that a, that a great Egyptian had fled from Pharaoh uh, having committed murder? That'd be a pretty good story. And actually, he wasn't the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was actually a Hebrew, and he was hidden. Now, yeah, pretty good, pretty good news story there. Uh, it's quite likely. It's quite likely that the people would have known that this Egyptian had escaped. Now, it was unusual for an Egyptian like this because Egypt was so plush. Egypt, you know, it had water. It had uh, in those days that. The topography, the land, they had water, they had plush uh, fields, 
they had everything that they could want. It was, a, it was obviously a prosperous place. So it, it would be unusual for an Egyptian looking like an Egyptian, probably wearing special Egyptian clothing, and especially if he had Egyptian armor. It'd be extraordinarily unusual for an Egyptian to have made his way to Midian and, and be willing to stay there. So Moses was content. This offer from Jethro, from Ruel or Jethro, set well with him. Moses was content to live with the man. Now, as the priest of Midian, he also probably was receiving news from Egypt and from everywhere. The caravans would have gone through um, the, the home of a priest, the household of a priest. Obviously, as the story develops, he had a fairly substantial household. Uh, so Moses would have felt secure. He would have felt informed of things that were happening. Um, and this would have been the kind of place where he could just get lost so that he wouldn't have to, he wouldn't have to answer up to what he had done, for what he had done. And he gave him Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. She bore him a son. He called his name Gershon. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Of course, that's what the name of the son means. So he's content, but he's restless. He's not at peace. He's content, but not at peace. He's not at home. Now, let's look at the final slide, and this is, this is, this is really the thing that is a good wrap-up for the whole story here. And it happened. We have that, the Greek word, again, it's the Greek word, and it happened. Sometimes in, in King James, I think, and it came to pass. But it's a forceful word in both Testaments. It means it happened. Almost like, well, not almost like, it's like God said this is going to happen, and it happened, right? And it happened. These, the, the, you see these, these kind, this kind of phraseology all the way through the Bible, which even speaks more loudly and clearly of the divine directive and purpose of God. And it happened. Now notice the next phrase. After those many days. So it had been a long time since Moses had been gone. God knew where Moses was. God knew how everything was developing. God knew what he was doing. Moses, by this time, had, had just immersed himself into the Midianite culture uh, and probably wasn't that concerned anymore about whether or not Pharaoh would, would ever find him. Those many days, and this is all the plan of God. It happened after those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out. And what that tells us is that, okay, you remember it was the change of a dynasty to a new dynasty that brought them into slavery. Now the change of a dynasty doesn't make any difference for them. They keep them enslaved. 
Apparently, there was hope on behalf of the Israelites that with the death of the old Pharaoh, a new, a new hope for them would arise, but it didn't. And so they groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. They, they, with groans and cries, they lifted their voices up to God. And their cry came up to God. Why? Because of the bondage. And God remembered his covenant. So, so the people are moved. Now, what, what does this say to us? Okay, the people are now, the people have been in this thing so long, they've lost hope. The only hope they have now is in God. They don't have any hope in anybody else because it's a new dynasty and there's still no difference in their living in their lifestyle, in their, in, in their slavery. So in that hopelessness, the only thing left was to cry out to God in their bondage. So their cry came up to God. Now the people are united and ready for deliverance. God uses all that time and they don't have, apparently, obviously, they don't have any hope in themselves anymore. Only God can help them. And so the, the, the situation has been used to forge these people sort of into a, a unified cry and expectation. And God remembered his covenant to Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the sons of Israel and God took notice. That is, he understood God acknowledged, um, he understood, he acknowledged, he realized it was time. This is, now it's time. All things that God had purposed have brought all parties to this point. We're going to see next time how he begins to prepare Moses. You know, Moses was in the flesh, really, when he killed that Egyptian. Moses thought in his power and in his strength he was ready to deliver the people. And the people didn't even understand what he was talking about. You remember that? We went through that. Was that last week? Oh, whenever it was. And, and they, they didn't know. You got to have, you gotta have both sides of the, of the issue to come together on this thing. And God knows how to do that. And now the people are ready. It's time for the deliverer to be made ready to understand what his commission is really and where his power comes from. Uh, so God willing, we'll, we'll get there next time. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at your word and your, your divine providence and how even so many thousands of years ago you still had us on your hearts determined to bring the deliverer to the cross that he might be our deliverer from our sins. Thank you, Lord, for our time together now. In Jesus' name, amen.